Okay, a very quick introduction to this episode. Uh, the guest, Kevin, he comes onto the show on his own behalf and not as a representative of Bangkok Community Help. I wanted to put that quick note in. Secondly, uh, I want this podcast to be fun and I want it to start to tell the stories of things on the ground in Thailand, things that are happening uh, that you know we don't always get to see every day in our day-to-day lives. So I want different guests on. Um, I try to relate it to my work, which is true crime in Thailand, uh, no matter who the guest is. Uh, but I want a variety of guests. And so today's is going to uh, feature Kevin and uh, we have a good conversation. If you do want to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch with me. Send a message to me on Twitter or my email, truecrimethailand at gmail.com. I'd be glad to talk to you. Um, I, I do have a couple podcasts lined up, which will be about the Chuck Diddleson murder, which a lot of people are excited about. Uh, there's so much information. you would It's just it's going to blow your socks off with everything that's out there. So don't worry. I'm going to put together the whole story this weekend. That's my next task. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right. Welcome back to True Crime Thailand. Uh, this is another episode we're doing. We're kind of shaking it up a little bit with an interview. Uh, the first one I put out, the first episode I pulled out, there was a few people who had commented and responded. Uh, one being Kevin, who's down in Bangkok. And I've talked with him a little bit in the past about the work he's doing at the uh, Bangkok Community Help Group, which I'm sure you've seen on Twitter quite a bit. Uh, they're doing a lot of good work down in the slums and feeding people. They're the one group, I think, personally, that when it's all said and done, and hopefully when all this pandemic stuff is over and the country can get back to normal, which is hopefully sooner than later, and we're going to look back on the history of all this, like this group, in my opinion, is going to be stand up easily as the good guys in the whole story. Uh, so Kevin was gracious enough to share his time. Uh, I actually owe Kevin 400 bot uh, because I made a pledge and uh, he's uh, I think the word is gracious enough to do this interview, even though I'm owe him money. Uh, and so, but yeah, so we've got Kevin here uh, for an interview. And the reason why I brought him on is I want to ask some questions about what's going on really on the ground down in Bangkok in some areas in the slums and worker camps. He has some stuff I think he wants to talk about. Um, so my first question for you, Kevin, is like, how did you get involved with Bangkok Community Help? So really about a year ago when times were normal, um, they were just starting out and I joined up to go help paint in slum communities and do some renovations and build a house and uh, lighthearted stuff like that. Uh, it was a good way to spend my time and give back a little bit. And then uh, as the world started to fall apart a little bit, we, we picked up steam and uh, grew into what we are now. And it's been a very egalitarian group. So uh, if you want to do something, you can do it. And then I just kept working with them and have evolved to, uh, to being an outreach guy and doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, re I respect that a lot. Uh, 
in terms of what's going on like with the group has it grown a lot like has so obviously like you know you're pretty visible now as a group and you know i think people are are responding to what you're doing positively uh despite a couple negative uh hmm. comments i've seen here and there we'll get to that in a minute but like overall it's overwhelmingly positive a lot of people are on board with what you're doing but ha- has have you seen like on the ground the group grow like people are coming down to help or is it just mainly like financial support or is it a little bit of both or like how has it grown in the past year it's grown uh, been both fronts has grown enormously we have we have a line group with over 300 people now um, most of those are active i would say we probably got 150 volunteers who actually give their time and um help uh financially we're doing okay it's never enough just because of how bad things are right now um we're reaching out to different groups uh we're trying to go into to governments and ask foreign governments for money and uh just digging around wherever we can but yeah it's grown a lot it's uh it's moving and shaking that's awesome uh so some organizations like i saw you you tweet that the Australian embassy helped and there's been a couple companies that have helped. Uh, so you're getting some support from institutions. You're getting support from the people. Is it, are, is it mainly foreigners or ties that are helping? Uh, not, I'm kind of curious, like, on, like when you're down there and as foreigners, like, do you feel comfortable going to where you go as foreigners and, and helping out? Or is there usually ties? that act as liaisons or how does that work? Um, most of the big donations have come from, uh, the Australian government reached out and we went through the formal process for a grant. Um, various companies, um, really we reach out to them and it usually has a, a decent success rate. Uh, Unilever and Procter and Gamble have recently donated truckloads of stuff. Um, but ties definitely do help. There's all kinds of tie organizations here. Uh, various chambers of commerce and organizations and business groups, um, they donate and Thai people do donate too. Uh, very frequently we try to, we're, we're trying to be better about communicating in Thai, right. um, on our platforms. We have several Thai volunteers who, uh, we're very grateful help us with that because none of us are, uh, very fluent. Um, but no, I, I don't feel, I don't think anyone really feels nervous about going in there. We've been there for so long. Uh, and when I say in there, in general, I refer to the Klong Toy slums, even though we go everywhere. Okay. Um, but we we're known at this point. We've been going so long and so frequently. Um, we know people in there. They know us. Uh, even if we didn't, it's not really a scary place if you understand it a little bit. Uh, but no, to answer your question, I don't think anyone feels very nervous. That's good to hear. Yeah, and you know, it's also good to hear that you you're doing outreach in Thai. Um, everything I see. Uh, you know, in English has been great, but it's it's also good to see that it's uh, getting into the Thai community. I think it's important now, especially this is my opinion is like, you know, foreigners and Thais kind of come together on some of these issues, show that we're all kind of in this together, um, especially where it counts like down in the slums, like like you guys are, are going into. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, when people see that, they they recognize that. So it's good to hear that you're getting support from from all directions. Now you did say one thing just now though, that was interesting. And this one thing has kind of been in the back of my mind. So when they say like Klong Tui is a, is a slum, 
and that's the way I was referring to it as well. I mean, how, when, like, do you feel that's a, the right word for the place? You know, that's hard because you can kind of see it as a, a bad word. Um, you can see it as derogatory, but Klong Toy is a, it's, it's a major part of the city. There's the difference between Klong Toy and the slum communities down there. Um, the, the literal definition of a slum is just an impoverished, overcrowded, uh, not formal area. It's not formally planned. Um, all of those settlements are illegal there. Um, there's huge variety in there. That doesn't mean that all of it's decrepit and people are living horribly. There is definitely instances of that, but there's also full houses in there. There's a, there's, it's, there's a huge range of how people live in there. It's not a, I, I, that's a hard, it's hard, it's hard to choose a proper word. Um, because you kind of, if you, if you eliminate that word, you're kind of hiding the situation, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know. That's, that's a touchy thing. And I've, I've gotten, uh, gotten heat for that before. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, it's interesting because me personally, um, uh, I like to just kind of call things as they are. If people are calling it a slum, uh, then that's what I would call it. But then if people want to push back against that, that's fine too. I can see how, you know, both sides, um, me too. You know, because there's there is like you said, it's like an unplanned settlement, and there's in there, but there's a variety there. It's not all just like some kind of vision we have in our heads of like you know starving kids. But then at the same time, there is that going on, right? I mean, how kind of curious, like when you go when you've been down there, and like families you talk to, and you and you know people who you know we would have natural sympathy for, like kids, elderly people that are sick people that are out of work, maybe people who are like disabled or, you know, can't work. I mean, how has that affected you? Like when you see that? Um, I've, I think I've always been sympathetic to that kind of stuff, but it's, it's, I, uh, it, it's upsetting. Uh, it's, it's very upsetting to see some of that. Um, there's some people in some very bad situations. There's a lot of kids aren't in school right now. A lot of kids, parents aren't available at the moment. Um, there's a lot of people with disabilities and disease and all kinds of issues down there. I don't think, I, I don't take it home with me or anything. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's upsetting sometimes. So you just brought up another thing that makes me curious. So one thing I've been thinking about uh, is, and this is kind of applies to all of Thailand. Uh, like I live in Northern Thailand and there's a lot of issues right now with like farming and the, uh, the money that, is available because um, certain crops are not selling for the rate that they used to. And uh, tourism has been shut off and, you know, there's issues down in Bangkok um, like that. Your, your team is, or, you know, your, the organization that you're helping with is, is helping with. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, like when people get desperate and there's a lack of resources uh, thing, people do sometimes, turn to crime mm -hmm. for, for a variety of reasons. And this is something that I've been writing about um, the past year and a half uh, or the past year is that uh, a lot of times in the Thai press, if someone is caught with say meth or they uh, steal something um, a lot of times they, the, when they make a confession, they'll say they did it because of lack of economic opportunities during COVID-19 it's a, something mm -hmm. that's been like brought up time and time and time again in like Thai news reports that I keep track of. Now, with that said, do you, f and do you find that 
down where you are on the ground that people are turning to crime to get by because there's a lack of jobs or economic opportunity, or do you not see any of that? I don't see any of it. Truthfully. Um, we haven't encountered anything in anything like that. We've never really had any issues with theft. Um, sometime, no, we never really had anything, no issues. I'm sure there is an uptick. It only makes sense that there is, um, there has been an enormous economic downturn there. The whole community is just wilted. There's lots of people who don't have a job, haven't had a job for a long time, have no outlook on a job. Um, they're entirely dependent on charity, but that's not something we see. Um, and maybe that's because we come in for a certain amount of time um, and we do our thing and usually we leave uh, in the evening. Uh, but no, that's not something that we've really had to deal with. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure in some degree it has increased. Um, I wish there were some statistics we could find about that. It'd probably be interesting. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing about Thailand is it's hard to get visibility in, into some of this stuff. Uh, you know, one interesting thing you just said is when you're down there, you don't feel unsafe. And that's something that no, never. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people, I think, feel the same way. Like uh, you generally don't feel threatened in Thailand, um, like for like street crime or something like that, uh, where there might be something going on, but you're not aware of it. A lot of times I feel like yeah, I think we, we don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, and one thing I guess that is brings to my mind, and this is just the way I think, and I, it's it's a it's a horrible thing to think, but it's kind of a reality. Is sometimes uh, when people get desperate, they'll start to do something like uh, take advantage of so someone with like human trafficking, or uh, you know there might be uh, you know something going on uh, where it's not totally apparent uh, to you if you're just down there. For a little bit of time, even talking to some people, they're not going to say anything. Uh, but there could be various exploit uh, exploitation going on with, you know, like women or kids down there. Uh, and that's the one thing I worry about is, and it's I, impossible for us to know, you know, because it's there's no real statistics on it. There's no one that's going to talk. Uh, but that's the one thing I worry about is uh, people that are vulnerable getting taken advantage of uh, in situations like that. That's something that we definitely watch out for, what you just brought up with uh, people taking advantage of each other. Um, that's not our forte. Uh, it's not, uh, maybe in the future, that would be something we can graduate to, but it's definitely something we have to keep in mind. Um, we've had an, uh, an instance where we found a family in a very bad situation and we wanted to help them. Uh, and then they ended up going through the daughter needing help with her finances for school. And the, we heard that someone was supporting her. Uh, and our first thought was uh, a foreigner was supporting her. And our first thought was, okay, let's look into this because it could be uh, it could be a bad situation, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It could be some, uh, someone taking advantage of the situation. It's someone in an extremely vulnerable position. Uh, they're just in one of the worst spots you can be in. They have no source of income, no prospect for further income, and a young child. Um, and unfortunately, Southeast Asia has a, a history of this. Um, it wasn't the case. Uh, we've never encountered that, but it's definitely something that everyone should be aware of um, and something we definitely keep in mind.
But yeah. also, just to be clear, children, dealing with children in those kinds of cases are not what we do. We're not equipped for that. Uh, right, right. right now, we're just trying to keep people alive. Right, for sure. And yeah, I mean, and I also, you know, sometimes people get a little bristly on this topic because uh, there's a lot of like NGOs, who, uh, and, and I'm not associating your group with this at all, uh, that uh, do work around the issue who sometimes uh, are not as honest about things as well. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon here as well. Sometimes there's groups that, uh, aren't trustworthy as well that are addressing the issue. And so it, and then they get, uh, uh, some, some pushback for what they're doing, um, and, and, and the way they're framing the issue. But at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, if, if there's vulnerable people that are being taken advantage of, you know, that's, that's, I guess where my mind goes, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of, I always, I wanted to ask you because, uh, it's just something that I think about and I'm not down there right now. Um, so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were, but, uh, with the help that you like, how many people do you think you're feeding per day down there? We do 3000 meals a day, uh, every, roughly 3000, sometimes more, sometimes less, but on average 3000 meals on a set route that we do. And then we do the, uh, the care packages that have all kinds of good staples and uh, toiletries, uh, probably between 200 and 400 of those a day, depending. Um, so I, I would say maybe like 5,000 people, something like that, uh, 5,000 mouths fed. But there's, yeah, it's it's a small dent, but it's it's a steady thing at least. And are, are there people who like show up to like your route and they aren't able to get fed? Uh, generally, no. Oh, you know, sometimes there are. Sometimes you run out. Okay. Uh, usually it's it's a known thing. That we go to the same area for the most part and they know we're coming and, and who needs it the most. Um, it's, it's generally the people who don't have an alternative will come eat from us because uh, it's not a big meal and it's not, it's not, I mean, it's as good as we can do, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, we, we don't usually have that issue. Okay. Uh, is there any, now, is there any, uh, idea on this, these worker camps? Like, so I've seen some stuff where they, and I'm not in Bangkok, so I don't have the ability to go like on the ground and see some of this stuff, but mm -hmm. like, what's the situation with these worker camps? Cause I've seen some, uh, press about it and they're basically uh, locked into their uh, worker dormitory where they were staying previously uh, on like mm -hmm. a construction site and uh, there's from what I saw like guards who are keeping them in is that true or not yeah that is true the, the military and the police came to most of them a lot of them are back to work so that, that's a that's okay. a, a very nuanced situation it varies a lot uh there was it wasn't eighty thousand construction workers were immediately abandoned um most most developers and contractors took care of their employees some didn't take care of them very well and then some completely abandoned them um it's it just depends on who you were working for at the time uh but yeah, when they did the lockdown, there was military and police there, and we usually have to to deal with them to get in there. It was never too much of an issue to get through. Um, once we explained we're trying to feed them, okay. But yeah, they, they were they were 
on, on they were guard. They weren't like armed or anything. It was just cops and young soldiers out there. Okay, gotcha. And they were like respectful with everything you were doing. Yeah, we never really had any trouble. Okay. Especially but... the army. The army was mostly just young kids, young young Thai soldiers. Sure, sure. Yeah, they get conscripted in uh, for that and then assigned to that, I would imagine. Uh, so, yeah. With, so, yeah, so with these worker camps, I guess what you're saying is there was a variety of them and they were led by different companies. And by the grace of each individual company, they the situation was different for everybody. Uh, yeah. So depending on the, the company or group that you were being led by, uh, you were getting help or you weren't. Yeah, truthfully, it was just one big company that really, really just gave up. Okay. Uh, I can't say who they are. It's yeah. A, uh, but yeah, we had a serial offender who, when we knew we saw that name, that there was a very solid chance uh, that they needed help. And then it even came to where that, so a lot of them went back to work um, and the foreman would be there and the foreman. So the workers, the laborers you see, they're generally subcontracted sometimes through several subcontractors and they work for the developer. Um, so technically they're not really employees of that company. So that's where it gets gray. And that's how a lot of them fell through the cracks and maybe nothing's going to get done about it before, but who knows, but yeah, there was one company and they even took to when the foreman came back, the foreman were getting paid there. They have decent salaries and uh, it's not their fault. They, they, they don't have the money to, to, to help all these people. But the foreman would call us and say that, hey, we need, uh, we need food because even though they're back to work, they don't have any money left, you know, because a mm-hmm. lot of them are, they're immigrants or they're, yeah, they're foreign, they're, they're, they're immigrant workers or sure. they're Thais here, but they, most of them are sending remittances back home. Yeah. Um, or they don't get paid that much in the first place and they just burned all their money on food, uh, all the savings they had. So a lot of them, uh, didn't get paid for the, the month or two months that so they were shut down. And it just depends on how many COVID cases you had in your camp. Um, and then they won't get paid until probably the end of this month. Now, even if they did start working in the beginning of this month, they, none of them had been paid yet for the most part. Right. Yeah. There's a, uh, I mean, for, from what I understand, most Thai, uh, or companies in Thailand pay monthly at the end of the month. So they have mm-hmm. to wait for that. Okay. Uh, so, at least as of today, are there any worker camps that are like locked in and they can't leave, or is that all finished? Oh, there's lots. Yeah, there's lots. Oh, there still are. Okay. There's 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 worker camps with like huge COVID outbreaks. There's one right here on Soy Three near me, um, on the way down to Nana, uh, that has they were cleared to work. Uh, I think it was like the 27th of last month. They had no COVID cases. And then uh, midway through the month, uh, more than half of them had COVID cases. And uh, the ones who weren't showing symptoms were quarantined in the barracks. And the ones who were showing symptoms were quarantined in the derelict building. But I think they were tearing down as part of their construction. And then there's even uh, there was a big, uh, an enormous like billion bot project um, up here on Rama 9 that they uh, they had like 300 something of the 500 workers test positive. Actually, let me look that up. But yeah, they uh, someone went to renew their visa, and then I guess he tested positive. Uh, however, they tested him, and then they went and swept the whole construction project. And turns out everybody had it. So yeah, okay. there's lots, there's lots of lots of camps in that situation. Okay, it's uh, so 
so it's an ongoing thing. And I mean, let me ask you this. 380 out of 520. Okay. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of them are workers from Myanmar, Laos, or Cambodia Mm -hmm. uh, in Thailand, and they're sending, sending money home and it's the pay is not, I mean, I don't know if they even get paid minimum wage based on time minimum wage or not, and they get paid cash usually. And um, so it's, it's a tough situation. It's, it's one of the things that has been on my mind a lot. Uh, let me ask you this, because it seems like, and I made this comment today somewhere, it seems like Bangkok and the rest of the country are really in two, like two worlds right now, or at least most of the rest of the country. I know there's a few, you know, the Bangkok metro area, and I know there's mm-hmm. other provinces that are kind of lumped in with that down there. Um, and then like the, the deep south, like the three provinces uh, down in the deep south by Malaysia uh, might also be lumped in th- with this. But the most of the rest of the country, for the most part, is kind of plugging around, plugging along like normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like this is going to end at some point for Bangkok and it's going to get better? Or like, what's your thought like timeline wise and how long do you think bangkok can live this way because there's a lot of people in bangkok um there's it's it's from what i've seen it's tough for a lot of people and when you have few resources and you depend on you know you're kind of living hand to mouth uh it's it's tough to live this way for a long time i mean how long do you think bangkok can kind of live this way uh that's hard to say uh uh Regarding how long we're going to take to get back, uh, God only knows. I don't know. I, but I, I know that there's a difference between the timelines of when uh, the city will come back to life and when communities like Klong Toy will come back to life. Um, they're, they're on a different timeline. I think it'll be much more protracted there. Uh, it'll take much longer for them to, to come back to where they were. Um, uh, and there's it, lots of stigma around there and lots of not a lot of economic opportunity and it'll take a while to trickle trickle to them. Um, I don't know how much longer we can go on like this. Uh, maybe they're going to lift restrictions soon, but who knows if that's a good idea. I don't know. We're in, we're in a real pickle, aren't we? I have no idea. Honestly, right. 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 Yeah. It's like kind of a rock and a hard place. Cause there's, you know, cases for both sides. I mean, when people are desperate, they, they, you know, need to open up, but then there's the health concern too. On the other end, if you do that, so, yeah, and I was kind of personally curious because, you know, like when I get a sense of things, I kind of like feel at least like I have like a personal feeling like, okay, this is going to last like, you know, a few months and then it's going to be over. And there's kind of like hope at the end of the at the end of that time. Uh, but it sounds like from the people like I kind of keep track of in Bangkok, it feels like there's like there's like no end to sight in this. And it's it's there's just going to be no resolution for some time what i think is really going to trip us up is the sinovac uh i have sinovac they vaccinated most of us with sinovac okay they vaccinated the slum communities with sinovac um it's starting to look like maybe that isn't as effective as we'd like it to be um especially with the delta variant so there's lots of people who need a third shot now it looks like um and i think that's that's going to be a continued issue for a while I, I understand that there's reasons we need to use it and 
I think it's it's better than not using anything, of course. I support it. But that's going to be, I think that's going to really set us back a while. I see. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I definitely am not smart or well-read enough in uh, the vaccine debate. Man, I'm not either. <laughs> I just, it just, it just kills me. I can't, I can't read it. I can't, yeah, it's, it's miserable, it, it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I do know, um, I know somebody in Chiang Mai who got the first uh, shot of Sinovac, and then the second shot they're going to get is the AstraZeneca. And so I know they're mixing uh, the two, at least in Chiang Mai, that was the way they were, were told they were going to do it. Um, so, and I think Thailand is the only country doing that. I I, I, think, at, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I We'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, it seems like... Uh, you know, there's, there's just like, there's, there's a point where, you know, you, you want to get back to normal and the solution of the vaccines uh, seem to be the key to that. And then if that isn't the key, because it, because they're not as effective, but you still support it, you still go get the vaccine. Uh, that's, it's almost like a, a double whammy on, you, you know, you like your hope for the situation because, you know, that's like kind of what people were, were banking on in a way. That's the feeling I get at least is like, if it doesn't, if the vaccine doesn't pull through fully uh, and you know, that's like COVID still spreading. And if it's still as dangerous from what I've read it, the vaccine at least does protect people from getting severely sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there was a study in Israel done because most of the country in Israel is vaccinated from what I've read recently, it was like a couple of days ago, uh, that cases are still happening and, you know, they're still dealing with it. Um, so it's just like, there's some countries where we can kind of look and see perhaps what's going to happen, but I don't know if they, what vaccine they used in Israel. Um, and That's certainly not, not Sinovac, not Sinovac. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, I'll let other people kind of chime in. I, I, yeah, we're not experts on this No, but <laughs> At the same time, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important for us to kind of talk. Here's the thing, like my philosophy, uh, and you said something because we, me and you were talking before we started the interview. And one thing you said was like, you're not an expert on some matters, um, like with none of these matters. Am I an expert on? (laughs) Right. And I mean, I'm not really an expert either. I do like the true crime Thailand thing as a hobby. I read Mm -hmm. a lot and, you know, I do some writing. I talk to a lot of people, but I don't know what, when you become an expert or not, you know, like what the definition is, maybe it's your education or when people kind of uh, crown you as one. But um, I think it still is important for people to talk about things in a way that kind of takes the steam out of the conversation a little bit and where we can kind of get a little bit of on the ground nuance where, you know, Mm -hmm. because tying it back to the work that you're doing, I think it's important for people to, kind of understand because people need to make plans if they're in Bangkok of what they're going to do. I, I know a lot of foreigners uh, in Thailand are starting to worry about like teaching jobs that might may or may not be available. Uh, Schools are shutting down or shutting down certain departments. And so I I think a lot of people, you know, want to know, and I think it's a fair thing to talk about, but at the end of the day, you know, we're like you say, we're like, we don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, I, you know, all I know right now is I think there is there is a lot to to worry about. I don't think we're we're not maybe we're getting towards the light, but it's not it's not very close. Right. 
let me ask you this. So all the time you've spent in Thailand, uh, you've lived in Bangkok, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, have you ever had a bad experience with the Thai police? No, not really. I know a lot of people have, but no, I've been, I've been lucky. I know I, there's a, a million horror stories to be had out there. I know a lot of people who have had bad experiences with the Thai police. Um, but I have, I, I've been lucky. No, I'm not, I'm not defending them or saying that, no, it's a myth, but no, I, I've been <laughs> I have not either. Uh, and I've, uh, the last time I interacted with the Thai police was a couple months back. Um, I went down to have breakfast um, at a restaurant in Chiang Mai uh, in the city, in the old city. And I was driving back down because uh, I live outside of Chiang Mai South about 30 minutes by car. And um, I, there was a checkpoint uh, mm -hmm. and they were checking and um, I hadn't put the, your like car tax registration sticker that you need to put mm -hmm. on the car like windshield um you, you got to put that sticker on there and um i had it in in the glove glove compartment and so they pulled me over and they didn't speak english and i didn't know what they like the words in thai weren't computing that that day for me there's some days where it's like like it's almost like i like feel like i understand the whole language and there are the other days where it's just things aren't computing and there was a huge communication barrier i had no idea what they were asking for they were asking for a sticker and they kept pointing at a sticker and it was a sticker uh for something else like when i went to a national mm. park or something and i i thought they were asking me about that i didn't know what was going on it was early <laughs> it was beautiful yeah yeah so i didn't know what was going on and then after like 15 20 minutes they had me pulled over um finally I, it clicked in my head that they wanted to see the um registration like tax sticker that you got to pay mm -hmm. well, well anyway uh they let me go and it was there was no issue right um and so i feel like it was a fair interaction and anytime i've been stopped at a checkpoint i feel like it's been a like a fair breezy interaction even if i had to pay them 500 baht or something like that you know uh like for not wearing a helmet or that's how they do it in Chiang Mai at least uh, yeah so it's interesting because a lot I feel like a lot of uh foreigners at least that I know have had similar interactions where for the most part they've had fair interactions and you know if it was a small traffic uh, uh checkpoint stop and you know they had to slip them a bill and go on their way they feel like that was a fair interaction and so for you, you never had any issues with Thai police. Have you ever been uh, down by Tong Lor, the, the police down there? Have you? Have, are yeah, you yeah. I've, I've, I've heard lots of stories about that. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've been around there quite a bit. They're, they're notorious, aren't they? Okay. So, have, but has that ever stopped you from like going down into certain areas of Bangkok? No, not necessarily. I, I would definitely, I, I keep my eyes out more, like seeing if, because uh, it is kind of like getting in a car crash almost, uh, trying to avoid uh, the police, if that makes sense. Not that I'm doing anything illegal. But <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you know how it is. It's, uh, it's, it's like you see him sitting in a certain area and maybe you go over a couple lanes and Try not to look at them. Yeah, it's definitely something you got to be aware of, but it wouldn't stop me from going there uh, by any means. But it's, it's definitely something you need to be cognizant, cognizant, well, cognizant of.
Okay, so let me ask you it's this. Funny, it's funny you say that uh, a fair interaction is slipping them a bill. Uh, I've had this talk with people before, like uh, when, where do you draw the line on when is it a bribe and when it's not? Because here, you do that. I think a lot of people would do that. I've never needed to do it. Um, but in America, if or a Western country, if a police officer indicated that I, I needed to hand him a $20 bill to go away, I'd be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm call your fucking boss. <laughs> here, uh, I don't know. It's just a different dynamic, isn't it? It is. And so this is interesting to me because for a long time in Thailand, um, and at least in Chiang Mai and uh, Chiang Rai and, and like the areas I frequent in Northern Thailand, uh, police don't really pull people over. There's checkpoints. And, and then uh, what yeah. was it like about six months back or eight months back? Uh, they got rid of checkpoints for the most part. Uh, and, you know, so like there's, there's really not many checkpoints anymore that I see, um, at, you know, from, from where I go, like typically there's, there was uh, like in Chiang Mai, you know, where all the checkpoints were going to be. And there was like a line group that said where the checkpoints were going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it, it, like everybody kind of knew what the deal was. Um, now one thing you brought up that's interesting to me is like in the United States, if you get pulled over by the cop, you're going to not really react well if they ask you for a bribe. However, police in the United States, as you know, pull people over when you're driving quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've been pulled over quite a bit for minor traffic violations or really I thought for nothing in the US. And when I drive in Thailand, I, I mainly drive a car. I'm always looking in my mirrors if police are behind me, even though I know in uh, consciousness. I, I am too. It's a leftover, man. Uh, okay. I definitely do the same thing. It's, okay. Even if I, 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 I always worry that there's going to be a light flashing behind me. Right. You know, I don't think is that that's not a thing here. They do. Is it though? Uh, very, very infrequently. I've seen uh, in Chiang Mai, I've seen one time where someone was pulled over and I don't know why it was late at night. It was by the old city um, on, uh, on the road that goes around the moat uh, and they had pulled someone over. And I don't know if they, why, how, or why that happened, but I've never seen someone being actively pulled over uh, with a traffic stop. But as you know, as someone from the United States, um, w- when you're driving, you're always kind of looking out for that, right? Yeah. Okay. Always so, worried about it. So that's a holdover, but here you don't have that issue. No, I, 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 I still have it in the back of my head where I'll look, uh, especially if like a police officer is driving behind me. I'm like, oh, he's going to turn on his lights. But it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He goes by you, right? <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Yeah. And that's and that and so it's interesting, at least, and I can't speak for the European perspective. They might have other opinions on this, but at least from my perspective, uh, that is a huge relief for just generally going out and driving and doing your errands and doing what you need to do. Uh, knowing that at least there may or may not be checkpoints, typically in a car uh, during the day. Uh, when there was checkpoints, uh, they would just wave you through. They're mainly looking for motorbikes that uh, don't mm-hmm. have a license or aren't wearing a helmet. Um, and for the most part, they wave cars through uh, if they see your your registration sticker on the windshield. Um, but so, but uh, the people aren't getting pulled over necessarily. And to me, that is a, pl- a plus in the column of Thai police and the way they operate compared to the United States. I could give them that, but I, I, 
when things were normal pre-COVID times, when I used to, my, my normal commute, uh, I would go down Rama 9 for quite a while. And I knew always that they were going to have this big, scary checkpoint out there. And they would, they would, it seemed like they would just snatch people at random. Cars, too. Uh, they, would, they would block off like a blind turn, like where you're coming up and you can't see what's in front of you. And then there would be police, police trucks and the, their cones set up. They'd have this guy walk out like authoritatively and put his hand out and snatch you up. I, 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 I think that's like, it's, it just looks, it just looks uh, intimidating and like not a place you want to be if they can just march out in front of you and snatch you out of your car. I would put that as a, a negative, but yeah, I'm glad <laughs> they, don't, they don't, they don't pull you over. They right. Yeah. Right. It, it, at least, it, at least in that instance, I knew exactly where it was going to be. You knew where it was going to be. You kind of know yeah. what to expect. I know to get in the other lane. Right. You you know what to expect in, in a way. Uh, that's fair. And I think people's, everyone's going to have a different idea about this, but I think a lot of times people's past experiences in, uh, in their home country and the way uh, things are done here, you know, kind uh, they, they kind of compare the two, you know? Um, Definitely. And, and so that brings me to my next question. Um, and you know, cause this is the true crime Thailand podcast. I'm kind of curious with between foreigners and ties, like, are you friends more with foreigners or ties like typically in your day-to-day life? Uh, I would say definitely with foreigners. Uh, I interact with Thai people a whole lot, uh, through work and through other volunteers. Right. Um, but my tie is not, I speak, uh, okay. Thai. I can understand quite a bit, uh, can do everything you need to do but i right. can't hold an in-depth conversation and have a meeting i have i do have thai friends but they usually they have to they have to speak perfect or good english you know okay um i think that's that's a, a fault of living here with a lot of us as we get in our own little foreigner bubble and it's very right. hard even not for lack of trying uh to make friends with thai people you know like meaningful friendships i, I can be like drinking buddies with a guy Sure. Um, even though we don't we don't understand each other too much, we can have beers together. But that doesn't mean we're like good friends, you know. Sure. So that makes brings me to my next question: Is foreigners that you've known in Thailand? I'm kind of curious. Do you feel like there's a certain segment of foreigners that you've come across with that are shady, perhaps crooked in some way that you don't want to deal with that you might like stop communicating with because of you feel like their background, or do you feel like you've met mainly good foreigners down in Bangkok, at least in your circles? both not because they were doing like shady stuff but mostly because uh you try to surround yourself with people who will who will bring you up uh to like someone that can add something to your life uh someone that is smart and successful you know uh you try to surround yourselves with those people and there's a lot of people here who uh get stuck in ruts um and don't try to grow very much if that makes sense and uh I, I, I generally I fall out with those kind of people after a while, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I've never really had trouble with like people doing anything backhanded or uh, anything too, too creepy or shady that scared me away. Cause in, in general, I probably stay away from them in the first place, but no, uh, not, nothing like that. So no exciting stories on that front. There is some interesting people who I've met here. It's just, it's just, it's just been so long, you know, since I had like, like, pre-covid like going to the bar buddies and like actually did things you know i feel like i've just lost that if that makes sense to you okay because i I, if i if i think back long enough 
I can remember like the guy that I used to hang out with from the DRC and this Czech guy and the Polish guy. Like I used to live on Romcom Hang and there was always a big cast of characters at the bar. Um, so th yeah, those people, I did end up trying to get away from a little bit, mostly because they're just in their own little loopy world, if that makes sense. Like the, the guy from the DRC that I knew, uh, maybe I won't, he'll never hear this. His name is Serge. Um, he was a really interesting guy, but man, he was just, just crazy. Uh, he worked for a hospital. He was here illegally, really. He was using an education visa to go to, to, to work here. And what he would do is he was like the liaison between this hospital and the DRC. So he would connect people in the DRC who needed medical treatment and come down here. And, but he was always finding like these ways to get ripped off or get in trouble or run a hustle or do something. And I, 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 he's gone. He left back to the DRC when the world fell apart and his job fell apart and people stopped traveling. Um, but yeah, I, uh, man, it's just kind of making me, making me nostalgic for old bank. <laughs> that was the kind of stuff you would run into. And then just like the dirty old men who live here uh, in general. I don't like them. Sorry if there's any dirty old men listening. There probably will be uh, at least one or two. Yeah. Okay. That so was, a lot of them, I think, have fallen out and filtered out now that there's no way for them to stay here in a gray area, if that makes sense. Okay. So you kind of touched upon something that I was, I was hoping you would, which is uh, when the bars were open and things were back before 2020, um, that's where I would meet people where, and it was kind of random, you know, you'd meet some people and, you know, you would have a crazy night and everything. And now that, I mean, even in Chiang Mai, like bars are closed, like, uh, especially, you know, when you go to the areas that cater to foreigners, they're just dead zones now. Uh, and you know, that whole scene is shut down. Uh, it's a little bit harder to get in trouble in Thailand. I feel like, unless you kind of were trouble already. So like, or if you want to go, if you want to go look for a bar, you can find one still. And that's how you really get in trouble. Yeah. Right. But like the stuff, the bars that were kind of, you know, uh, open, uh, like the open scene, you know, where yeah, uh, yeah. you would go, like you would go and like you said, just like kind of a night, uh, like on a nightly thing, you would, you or not every night, but like at night, you know, you'd go out for the bar. You think you're just going to have a couple of drinks and all of a sudden you're with surge and yeah. you know, the Polish, yeah. the Polish guy and this, and then, you know, it ends up being five in the morning and you don't, you know, you don't know where you are. Uh, and you wake up, uh, in some room the next day and you know you, you come out and the sun's hitting your eyes and you're like where the hell am i you, know, you call it you dial up a grab i don't know if this has happened to you in bangkok but it's happened to me oh in definitely <laughs> i dropped i dropped the, I, I dropped the ball on that question because seriously man it's been like two years uh, you forget how long we've been in this fucking mess uh i forgot about it, uh, it just didn't it, it wasn't in the front of my mind it wasn't the first thing that came up i just forgotten that all that was a thing we used to do because things are kind of different now, I feel like. Oh, uh, yeah, I, that, that seems like such a distant and impossible thing to do now. Right. It's Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of what I was getting at. It's just like, you know, I feel like you, if someone ends up in Thailand, generally speaking, we kind of get used to it now that we live in Thailand. And it's, you know, everyone that we're around lives in Thailand. So our perception changes. But it is kind of a different experience than living back home and just being around normal people. Most of the mm -hmm. foreigners in Thailand uh, who come here, they, um, unless they get like a really nice expat job and they're making a lot of money with some expat job, you know, we all kind of come for our own reasons to reinvent ourselves or, 
you know, we're sure. finding a different way to live, but there's always kind of like an edge to people, you know, like what, whatever it is, they might have something in their past that they, you know, they're running from, or, you know, they're looking to reinvent themselves or perhaps they are crooked and you don't know it. You know, I, like I cover a lot of stories about people like this. Uh, so it's always in the back of my mind or even in the front of my mind uh, when I meet people. Um, and I kind of like it. Like I like to know people's stories, you know, so it doesn't like uh, frighten me away. But mm-hmm. the the experience that you're talking about uh, and that I think most people who have spent time in, in, in Thailand know also of, you know, you go out and you meet characters that you you just couldn't even write up. You know, it's like people that, you know, you couldn't you couldn't write up in a movie or a, or a book, you know, and, and it's like I feel like missing that is a, is a loss in a lot of ways for living in Thailand, you know, just like being able to meet people that uh, from different parts of the world and just different backgrounds uh, that kind of spice things up a little bit. I feel like for me, at least that's that's it's it's been kind of hard almost to to lose that because. I wasn't out trying to make trouble every day, but I, I did like to meet people with interesting stories and, you know, backgrounds and kind of get to know them a little bit and, uh, you know, and just kind of hear their BS even like a lot of people are BSers here, you know, bullshit artists where, you know, you don't know what they're saying is true or not, but you kind of like the story and you like how they tell it, you know? Uh, and I feel like a lot of that social life, um, has been shut down in Thailand and, you know, you, like you said, you have to think back on, the past, like those, those experiences, do you feel like you will stay in Thailand after this is all done? Like, do you feel like after everything is said and done, uh, after the pandemic, let's say all this ends, you know, there's a date next year, like June, 2022, the world is back to normal. Let's just say that's what happens. Are you planning on staying on Thailand? Or are you planning? I think on so. Leaving? Right now, I think I, I do. Uh, I like it here a lot. I love Thailand. I love Thai people. I like uh, Thai foods. It's been awesome. Um, uh, I, I I feel like I've built a network here that would be hard to just walk away from. Um, I don't know what I would do truthfully if I left Thailand. I could go back to the United States and go back to uh, my old job and do all that if I really wanted to. But. Uh, no, I think I'd like to stay here. I, uh, me and my girlfriend have talked about it. I think maybe we, we'd plan on staying a couple more years uh, at minimum um, or maximum, depending on how she feels really about it. Um, but no, I'd very much like to stay. And if not Thailand, somewhere else in Southeast Asia. I feel like if I go back to the United States or if we go with her to the United Kingdom, then it's just like we've given up, you know, we, we lose, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. That's it. In what way? What do you like? We, like just it's just uh it's not fun anymore you know i like uh just joe blow if we if i go back it's almost like i've gone back with my tail between my legs so my friends and my family like oh couldn't couldn't make it oh see that's that's interesting i I feel like a lot of people stick on with a place like thailand because of that reason like they don't want to admit defeat i think that's definitely a part of it um if i like came back and had a job lined up it would be okay uh, I don't think I would be ashamed, but it, and maybe they wouldn't even think of this. Maybe it would be entirely be in my own head that that's an right. issue. Uh, it is, yeah, I would just it is like in your own head. <laughs> it is. It is my own head. My family would be delighted to have me back. <laughs> my friends sure. too. But uh, no, I know. Yeah, I I would feel like I quit. Like uh, I'm just going to go sit in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and drive a truck and be boring again. <laughs> 
and and that's kind of the thing like as a as a foreigner in a country like thailand we always have that feeling that we're kind of even though it's pretty comfortable here you know like we can carve out like a like a routine it's not like we're it's not like you know we're it's it's uh you know life is fairly normal here you get kind of acclimated to things but you always feel like there's a little bit of edge to life like you know just by uh for a lot of reasons i feel like just being um in a totally different culture all all the time and you just see things that you would never see back home and i think no matter how long people have been here whether it's 5 years 10 years 20 years 30 years there's something that keeps them here um uh, and there's a certain point where you probably can't go back and you feel like you know you either given up or there's just nothing to go back to you know and that's always an interesting thing cuz i have a lot of friends who uh they uh are in a way they have one leg one foot in thailand and one foot back home you know and like they 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 they're, they're kind of stuck between both places and they can't fully come to thailand full 100% they can't fully go home 100% and they end up unhappy and that's kind of like i guess my next question because i met you on twitter mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of i like to have fun on it a little bit i'm a little bit troll trollish sometimes but i try to temper that quite a bit and i keep it to myself because uh, i don't want to you know rub people the wrong way too much but i mean what do you feel like is the dynamic just socially like on social media with foreigners it, i mean do you feel like uh i mean i'm kind of curious just it's like open ended question i think it can be very constructive and it's an excellent way to network with people if uh if you behave it can also turn into like a, a negative hell pit of t- terrible opinions and awful mean people um it it really depends on how you make it man i i I've, I've gotten a lot of success through Twitter, uh, meeting people, especially for the foundation. Uh, that's like my, my, my specialty there, I suppose. Um, it, it really is what you make it. Uh, there's some places that you just shouldn't even bother going to. Most Facebook expatriate pages are absolute cesspools. Uh, <laughs> Thai visa or whatever it's called now is just not worth your time at all. Um, there's certain Twitter accounts who uh, it's better if you just mute or block them um, and don't interact with them. Uh, It just, it really depends on what you want to do with it. You can sit there and you can argue with people all day if you really want to. There's never ending stream. Uh, But there's also, uh, there's a lot of very smart people here. There's a lot of very successful and interesting uh, and good people here. You just got to, I think you you can't, a lot of people want to go out there with like a flamethrower and big time everyone on the internet. Yeah. Uh, uh i maybe i'm i'm not like a, a model citizen or anything with that uh but if you behave it can be a very inter- interesting and constructive place i agree i've i've met so many really really interesting people um on facebook and twitter um i i used to use facebook quite a bit and i agree like facebook expat groups are notoriously cesspools but oddly there are some really great people too you can meet you just have to kind of uh, that's, that's how I found Bangkok Community Help was through a, a Facebook expat page, but that's the only, the only good interaction I've ever had with it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've had. Uh, I used to run a couple expat Facebook groups, a um, couple big ones, and uh, you know there was a lot of good and bad. Moderating one and admining one is a whole other experience. Like you get oh, I to. I bet you that is an absolute <laughs> nightmare. 
it's kind of like I, it's kind of fun for me in a way. Like I kind of like it. I, I I gravitate towards like dealing with that kind of stuff. Uh, but that could be my own like weird masochism, I guess. But uh, um, on uh, on social media now, uh, when I'm interacting with like my true crime Thailand thing, I, I try to uh, you know just just be be a normal normal uh, interaction, and I you know I don't like to throw fuel on fires but i do see a lot of fires and i i just can kind of avoid them for the most part although sometimes i get sucked in and i think what you're you were saying is like you kind of have a choice on what on how you interact because there are a lot of really great people out there um i've met like so many people that's the cool thing about the work i do is so many interesting people contact me with stories um for what's going on in thailand and i've met a lot of great people uh from all walks of life uh, and then, you know, but then you have a choice to, you know, interact with them or you can go to the fires, you know, that you see constantly burning. And that brings me to my next question is I was uh, referring to earlier. And I, I know, I don't know, we've been talking about an hour. I don't know how, how much long you, longer you have. No, you're fine. fine. I might have to go grab a beer here soon, but other than that, it's okay. Okay, cool. So uh, this kind of brings it back to uh, the organization, Bangkok Community Help. Uh, most you know, there's kind of like some good, there's like the good on social media too, where it's like, it's kind of like the good and bad and the ugly, you know, I like the ugly, like the ugly isn't bad. The ugly is just kind of like interesting to, to watch, you know, mm-hmm. the, the bad is, I think what you're talking about, the people who are just completely, uh, the bad or the ugly is kind of like the weird, like they're not like, it's kind of like the abnormal, you know, and like, you kind of like to see like, but they're not bad accounts or bad people they're just kind of they they have their own take on things and they kind of keep things interesting you've got yeah. the, you've got the bad which are this is a bigger group who are just constantly out there um trying to you know troll or trying to uh pick fights or just f- find the bad in things and then you have the good which i feel like i would put bangkok community help in but sometimes the good is uh basically attacked by the bad and it's an interesting thing because i see i'm like how can you even go for this group but then i realize i'm like okay i'm in thailand you've got people who are basically unhappy behind their their keyboards who want to start something do you feel like the like and i'm not going to name names here but do you feel like like safe for and valid criticism is fine like i feel like if someone's like throws a valid criticism towards uh, bangkok community help I feel like that's that's fair, but like you can do it in a respectful way, you know. Sure. Now, do you feel like with when when foreigners or because we mainly are interacting with foreigners on social media, and some Thais if they're speaking English, you're not mainly on Thai social media, so we're mainly interacting with foreigners. Do you feel like when they come out with just really really negative takes, and they're attacking a group like Bangkok Community Help? Do you feel like that person is doing it uh, knowingly or do you feel like they truly are just unhappy? Like, what do you think is their psychology? I'm kind of interested in that because I think about it quite a bit myself. You know, it's, it's really vexed me because like I, 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 I try to be extremely professional on there because I am here on this podcast. I'm not a representative of the Bangkok Community Health Foundation, but there right. I am representing us and I'm speaking for us and it's to a certain degree. Um, I try to be polite and I try to explain things, but there's some people, man, who are, you could, you could, you could tell them whatever you could tell them exactly what they want to hear, but they're going to change it into something else. 
there's some people who just want to like watch the world burn and want to fight and say horrible things. People have been, people have said some really shit things to us, um, accused us of things that just don't make any sense. Uh, I don't think there's any help in those people, man. Like I, there's some people who I've even invited, like, please, please come meet us. Uh, with some, I don't know where you got this idea in your head, uh, but you can come meet us if you want. You can come talk to everyone. Uh, but no, there's no help in those people. I think, uh, and almost always, they're always anonymous. They're, none of them have any personal information, no, uh, no meaningful interactions with people other than just trying to dunk on people all the time or feeling like just their whole page is full of vitriol. Uh, no, a lot of those people, I don't think it's even worth your time. Right. Uh, strangely, though, I, I, I like to follow them because I like to kind of see how not to be, you know, like. <laughs> sure, yeah. You know, I, 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 and also you, I start to think like, cause you know, when I feel like when we're, uh, like a foreigner in a place like Thailand, especially now where we're, we're kind of trapped here. Like if you do have the funds to leave, uh, you know, you're lucky basically at this point, like a yeah, lot of people, I'm, I'm definitely are, stuck. yeah, a lot of people are stuck here for a variety of reasons. Um, and I would say most people here, you know, like the people who are able to leave and come back, you know, God bless them. Like they're, they're lucky, you know, and I, I hold no negative opinion of that. I say more power to them if they can do it. Uh, but you know, the people who are really stuck here, who you can tell they're not happy. I feel like I have a little sympathy for them because obviously something went wrong, you know, like, yeah, they took, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, they, they maybe took a bad turn somewhere and I'm not trying to help them per se, but it's, it's kind of like you can, it's kind of like you can kind of see through, through it a little bit, you know, and kind of see like, oh, like obviously something went really wrong with you and, you know, I'm not mad at you, you know, <laughs> like kind of thing that do you have, you, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, is that something that you, you keep in your mind or I'm kind of curious, like what you think about that? No, I, I, I try, I would try to be empathetic, I guess. Because at the end of the day, it's someone someone's on the other side of that screen saying the awful things and having the terrible takes and uh, very negative opinions on everything. That's someone. That's, that's a person over there. Um, and a lot of it, uh, especially on Thailand Twitter, you can see a lot of people are really struggling and unhappy and bored and pent up. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's important to keep that in mind, uh, that there is some people who are just having a really bad time and they might take that out. Uh, All right. by being an asshole on the internet. <laughs> Do you want to get a beer, man? Yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you getting a beer as well? Uh, no, I'm not drinking. Okay. I had a smoke. I had a. I had a uh, some tobacco earlier, um, which is good for me. Yeah, I'm not drinking at this point. Um, I saw you were talking about um, going out. What were you looking for the other day? Um, you were talking about it. Some, some, some tobacco you were searching. Yeah. Um, so I got, um, a, a package from a friend whose uh, family lives a few hours outside of Chiang Mai and, uh, they sent, uh, banana leaves, which are used as like a rolling paper, um, tobacco, dried tamarind skin. Um, mm -hmm. and so all of that, you roll up into a cigarette uh, and I like, I like smoking them. Uh, and then there's mock, which is like the, uh, beetle leaf and beetle nut. 
Um, okay. And then, and so you, you lay out the beetle leaf and you put a few different ingredients. Now um, in other countries in like South Asia and Southeast Asia, the ingredients are going to vary, but the core like four ingredients are the beetle leaf, uh, which is like the, the wrapper and it's a fresh leaf. It's, it's, you know, a green, fresh leaf. Mm-hmm. And then you put the, the dried beetle nut in there. And then you put, uh, like a smear of, um, the, uh, the lime paste and, okay. and like then, actual lime paste, uh, like lime, like you would put on like a dead body. Oh, lime, lime. Okay. I thought, okay. Yeah. Not like not like sour lime. Yeah. I thought you meant like mush limes. Okay. Lime, I guess. Yeah. That. Yep. And then, um, slaked lime it is slaked lime. Um, mm-hmm. and then you put, so you put a little smear of that and that's the white stuff. And then you put, um, like a little plug of, I think this is what it is. At least what I was told is like a dried, um, coconut husk. Okay. With that's soaked in like turmeric basically. And so, and then you wrap all that up and you, you basically like put it as like a chew, like if you do chewing tobacco or something like that. Really? Yep. And so you, and so, yeah, I've been chewing those. Now there's some disadvantages to it. Number one, it's, it immediately turns into this really deep red uh, liquid in your mouth. Yeah. I've seen the pictures of people's teeth. Yeah. So um, now I do it very infrequently, like once a day and like, I haven't done it for a few days. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to like the people I think who have really stained teeth, they're like, they're just constantly chewing the stuff for years. Yeah, and they've probably been doing it for decades too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not like if you do it one time, you're, you're going to, you know, get stained teeth. So I would highly recommend people if they haven't had it to try it just to see what it's like. I'd love to try it just for the novelty of it, just to see what it's all about. Right. Exactly. And, and so I like, and that's another thing kind of like what, uh, you know, we kind of were taking the turn of like foreigners who get like really depressed and like, you can tell they're not happy here. One thing that keeps me kind of lively and like, just kind of uh, like my mind engaged and, and, and happy here. Um, even in these times, it's like doing things that are like a little bit novel, just kind of like doing things that I wouldn't normally do. It, like going places I wouldn't normally go, you know, just mm-hmm. get, getting outside my comfort zone a little bit, even though it's like, people might say, Oh, what are you trying to do? Be like a tie or something. And, most Thai people don't even chew this stuff anymore in uh, the cities because uh, back in the 1940s, the prime minister at that time, after World War II, he pretty much banned the stuff. Before mm-hmm. that, everybody in Thailand used to chew it, like even in Bangkok, and they would spit it on the streets. Uh, but he banned it where like if you couldn't go into like the government offices, if you're chewing it. And so like Bangkok, Chiang Mai, all the cities and stuff, they like you typically don't find it. You can find it, though. You just have to look a little bit. Uh, but it's still, it's still, you know, chewed and stuff out in, in the rural areas. Um, and, and the old, especially the old timers, like if they're above a certain age, they're, they're likely to, to have chewed it or still chew it. Um, but to get to like the experience, like I feel like with tobacco, um, and caffeine, you know, there's a certain, uh, like people are familiar, familiar with what tobacco and caffeine does. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and most people that I know are addicted to one or both of those substances, whether it's both or definitely both. Yeah. Right. So, um, but if you are kind of like attracted to um, caffeine, nicotine, I would say that 
the beetle nut chew is something that you should definitely try. I'm a huge fan. It's like a really nice buzz that you get right away uh, that kind of mm-hmm. kicks in after a couple minutes of chewing it. And you start to feel like a pit, like a kind of like a bite on your tongue. It's really qu- quite a, uh, quite a unique experience. Like it feels a little bit uncomfortable at first. It doesn't hurt, but you mm-hmm. can definitely tell there's something in the stuff where, you know, it's going to, it's going to affect you in a way, you know? Um, and it doesn't overwhelm you. Like you don't get sick or nauseous or something like that. Um, like if you remember back when you were like a teenager smoking cigarettes for your first time, like you got lightheaded or something. Uh, I, I threw up the first time I put a chew in. Yeah. I'm from yeah. Texas. We chew. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's not, it's not like that so much. It's not so overwhelming, but it, it it's, there's a bite to the tongue. You get a nice, very perky kind of feeling in your mind. And like, I was really tired the other day. Um, and I was trying to do some work. I was trying to write something and I just was like really feeling sluggish and like coffee didn't work. And I was like, just really not feeling it. And I couldn't focus. And I, I chewed some of the, uh, beetle nut and right away, like I came back to it and I, w- I was able to knock out some work. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan. Maybe I need to give it a try. Then that's interesting. I don't need an, I don't need another addiction uh, <laughs> but i don't need another vice but it'd be interesting to try what kind of beer are you drinking uh san miguel light nothing nothing great that's the bar girl drink right there man is it you know i've never <laughs> done that i've never uh, I, i've never been to a go-go really in my time in thailand i've been to soy cowboy and i've drank it like the bars there but i've never like gone through the actions of like uh Bar finding, bar finding. Like I know what it is. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm lame because of that, but no, yeah, I've never really had the chance to dabble. Now I'm happily uh, with my girlfriend. So <laughs> that's good. Happened. That's good. Uh, one thing I don't like about Thailand, and let's talk about beer a little bit. Sure. So I cannot stand Thai swill, man. Like I won't drink Chang. I won't drink Leo. Leo sometimes. I've, I kind of gave up on Thai beer, honestly, but import beer is so freaking expensive. There's yeah. a guy who, who I'm friends with in Chiang Mai who uh, has like the probably the best um, bar and restaurant for beer. Um, it's right by Tape Gate. And uh, if people in Chiang Mai will probably know uh, where it's at. Uh, but uh, I mean, beer import taxes are like 400% or something, you know, and uh, so it's hard to even buy decent beer in Thailand. I feel like, so I just drink, uh, if I'm going to drink, I'm just going to drink, uh, like a Thai whiskey. I can't, I can't I'll drink. drink. So you, you're okay with saying I'm okay with saying Uh, I'm not like, I'm not crazy about it. Um, but it, it's it, for, for what it is and the price, it's not bad. See, um, I feel, I feel like mixing a saying and a diet Coke is, is better than a, a Chang. I would agree. Oh, so Chong is just terrible. First off, <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst of the three. Um, uh, but no, I think uh, Sang Song and a little bit of uh, soda and lime is pretty good. Okay, so soda. Yeah. Okay, I've had it that way too. Um, there's a lot of people who are drinking Thai beer every day, and I don't know how they do it. I I respect it because I wouldn't be able to. Like a lot. Like obviously, most people who are drinking in Thailand, they're drinking Chong or Liu every day. Um, I, from what I gather, Chong used to be, uh, stronger. Um, so I don't think it's worth Mm -hmm. it even at, uh, whatever percent it's at 5% or whatever. 
Um, I, I don't, I, I don't like the stuff. If, if it's like ice cold and I'm like eating with people, I will drink, I won't like turn it down, you know, like if, if that's what's there, you know, and like, and that's what people are pouring and that's what people are drinking. I'll drink it with people. You know, I'm not going to say no to something like that, but I'm not stocking it at my house. I'm not, I'm, I'm not buying it. Uh, I'm strictly just saying some and a, some sort of mixer. Uh, if I have Johnny, Johnny Walker, like red or black, that means I've went full out and, and splurging a little <laughs> bit, but <laughs> so in the States, Johnny Walker black is not very good, but here it's, uh, top shelf stuff huh yeah well, exactly. also, uh, i used to be a leo guy until i saw someone pointed out that leo has 100 more calories than the uh the the, the uh singha does so I, I migrated oh okay but not because it tastes better yeah yeah uh yeah so I, it's it's funny because i see people posting pictures on uh twitter always of like the beers they're drinking and they're they're buying beers quite regularly that are out of my price range. Uh, uh, it would bankrupt me. Actually, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but it sucks because like I'll get, a, I, I'll get a couple sometimes. It's nice to have. Have you ever tried Solid Gold? No, Founders, what's that? Uh, solid, oh, it's so good. I, I think that's the best beer you can get here, honestly. It's a Thai beer? I highly recommend it. No, it's. A, I think it's American. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I like Beer Lao. Beer Lao, I feel like, is... I do too. Uh, ...is a strong... Like, if I go to Lao... Uh, I'm going to drink as much as possible because it's so cheap there. I, I like that it's the, the state-run beer company too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a national it's an official brewery. arm of the government, yeah. Right. Uh, Vietnam beer, I feel like, is really well-priced. Um, not the really, really cheap stuff, but like uh, which you get for like 10 cents a glass. Yeah, be, be Ahoy. I love Be Ahoy because you can just drink, you can keep drinking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be Ahoy, yeah. So uh well tell you what man i feel like this has been a good conversation um sure. i'm gonna i'm gonna uh probably sign off for now but i want people to check out uh, uh bangkok community help what what are some last yeah, if you're you... still if you're still here with us please do yeah if you've lasted this long i'm gonna probably do some post editing on this uh but to sign off like what are some things you want to leave the audience with like with what you're doing so really every little bit helps uh even if it's like nine, we, we can buy a meal for 19 baht. That's what it costs us to make one. So if you're feeling generous, uh, even that helps. Uh, check out our, 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 we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We even have a TikTok that I don't really do anything with, but they do it. Um, I run the Twitter. Check out our Twitter, uh, BKK Community. Uh, and then our, our Facebook page is Bangkok Community Help Foundation. And then our website is uh, BangkokCommunityHelp.com. If, yeah, if you want to help us out, please do. Uh, we're nice people trying to do a nice thing. Uh, yeah. If you can. Cool, man. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, we'll call it a wrap. Uh, I think this was a good interview uh, and I appreciate your time, man.